Hey, James. Hey, James. Doing? What's up? Good, man. One sec. You guys hear me okay? Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. It's nice. Right, good. Awesome. How you guys doing today? Good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just another day trying to uh, save a damn team. Mm. But I appreciate you guys having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Sweet. Yeah, awesome. So so are we. Uh, Ryan, do you, uh, do you want to just kick it off here? Soon, yeah, so. I'll, I'll kick it off here. Um, welcome back to another episode of Viper's Take. I'm the host, Ryan Smith, a.k.a. DJ Viper. Thanks to everyone who is able to watch my fourth episode with DJ Chen. If you happen to miss it, you can find it by searching up on Spotify or YouTube Vipers Take, or you can find it on my IGTV at RJS underscore 2021. I'm so excited to change it up a bit for this episode. Recently, I've been fortunate enough to be given a venture fellow role with the Drexel Ventures Club to run and facilitate their podcast series. In partnership with Drexel Ventures, I'm bringing on someone who is making a difference in the sports industry someone who the Drexel community should know about, and ultimately someone who I aspire to be. His name is James Santor, Director of Marketing at 76 Capital. And also I ran this podcast too with two of my fellow Drexel colleagues, one here today, Sean Latley, and one who unfortunately can't make it, whose name is Noah Selesky. So Sean, you can take it away from here. Yeah, thanks Ryan and, and James. It's, uh, it's great to meet you. So just as a, a brief introduction to me, I'm, I'm currently a senior at Drexel. Uh, I'm on co-op for, for my final co-op at a, a firm called Touchdown Ventures. And I'm also the, the president of Drexel Ventures. So uh, Drexel, found, Drexel Ventures was founded uh, about two years ago now uh, with the goal of developing venture capital acumen in, in undergraduate students at Drexel University. Uh, we currently have about 50 members, and uh, James, thanks so much for doing this. We're really looking forward to uh, to having you as our first uh, podcast guest, and uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll pass this back over to you. Yeah, so I wanted to give a little more context about what James is doing. So James received his finance degree at LaSalle University, was a star pitcher for their baseball team. He then went on to work at Independence Blue Cross in the banking and investment and financial planning analysis sector. He now finds himself at a sports-oriented VC firm in 76 Capital, responsible for all social media and content strategy, as well as serving as the producer for their Capital Leadership Series. Uh, most recently, James also serves as the founder of what's called LaSalle Legends Foundation, which happens to be a 501c3 not-for-profit entity with the goals of reinstating their D1 baseball team and making the world and LaSalle College a better place through sports. Through this initiative, James has found him and his message touching many around us, including a recent appearance on 6ABC News with Jeff Skaversky. And it's my pleasure to introduce James Santor to Drexel Ventures Podcast. Thanks, James. Thank you guys so much for having me. Excited to be here and uh, share my story, both from the, the work side and also the LaSalle side of things. And uh, I really just appreciate the opportunity. It means a lot. Definitely. Um, I'll pass it over, Sean. He was going to ask you a little bit more about your background and childhood kind of developing your passion for baseball sure yeah i think that's a that's a great way to kick it off um james if you wouldn't mind just give a just give a little bit of your background sort of how you ended up at, at 76 capital and you know uh, anything else you'd like to share we'd love to hear it sure absolutely yes yeah. so i'm a jersey kid grew up in Voorhees, new jersey right over the bridge in uh, philly and honestly i was a very weird kid very unique kid i think if you had known me back at that like in the middle school high school days and I was doing a podcast right now. You'd be like, what happened? And how are you possibly speaking in front of people? Um, so I was kind of a, a little bit of a recluse. I struggled with like a little bit of social anxiety and um, baseball was really the only way I would really like leave my house to a degree. Um, I was a huge gamer. I love technology. I was always trying to figure out how to use different types of tech. And I was the type of guy that I'll never forget that I used to go to the, the gym with my dad and I'd be there reciting different statistics from baseball or there's Barry Bonds home runs or Mark McGuire's home runs or different ERAs, things like that. I always had that passion for sports and baseball. And um, I, you know, I really found out that I wanted to play college baseball, probably my sophomore year of high school. And I was a good student and I really wanted to find a place that I could kind of harness the perfect mixture of baseball and academics. And my goal at first was go to an Ivy League school and really be able to go and uh, get that education that may not be able to get just from a strictly academic perspective. And Unfortunately, I dealt with injuries for uh, my junior and senior years of high school and um, never really got to perform at the level I wanted to, but I was able to have, I mean, it's funny how everything happens. I say everything happens for a reason because it truly does. Um, but I had like the best day of my life at a showcase and LaSalle happened to be there. 
And again, I wasn't somebody that was like talking to everybody at that point. I was kind of just sitting back, but I had this day where I felt like everything came together on, on the field. And then I was able to talk to the coach right after and get a visit. And as soon as I stepped on LaSalle's campus, I felt at home. Um, and I say that not trying to be dramatic, but again, as somebody who didn't really fit in many places in my high school days, it was like, I stepped right foot up, right on foot on that campus. And I was like, I feel comfortable here. And that was like the first time I'd ever really felt like that. Um, so I was able to end up at, at LaSalle University and play Division One baseball. And I was recruited walk on because I had blown out my shoulder and really had to prove that I was deserving of making a Division One roster. Um, and for me, the best way I could do that besides performing on the field was working extremely hard in the weight room and doing all the different everything I can do to show that I had the work ethic to compete at this level. Um, and I was able to do that. And not only did I get to play Division One baseball, but I got to meet the best group of people that I'd ever thought I'd get to meet. And I mean, this past weekend, I actually had a wedding for my best friend and got to be up there with them. And it's like all of the people there were all LaSalle baseball guys. So again, for somebody that came from a high school background where I was very, very antisocial, didn't have, I had a you know small group of friends, but I was always looking for that family. And as soon as I got to LaSalle, I got that family. So Playing for LaSalle, being a member of LaSalle baseball set up the rest of my life. And I always said, like, I don't know where I'd be or if I'd even be here if it wasn't for LaSalle. Um, I got my first job at Independence Blue Cross. Um, like Ryan said, I was a finance major at LaSalle. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I just had a finance major. I knew I had to get a job. So I was like looking for something with a good company or an interesting role where I can learn and grow. And I found that at Independence Blue Cross, which is a big uh, insurance company here in Philly. I started off in banking and investments, which... Honestly, I just thought it was a cool sounding uh, title as cash management investment analyst. I was like, there's got to be something good with that. And I took the chance and it was the best start to a career I could have ever imagined. I had some unbelievable bosses that really took me under their wings, including uh, the one VP was a LaSalle grad. So immediately I had that connection. And then my boss directly, his daughter played lacrosse at another school in the Atlantic 10. So Sports and LaSalle really kind of got me to that first job, allowed me to, to succeed there. And then while working in that job, I kind of came to the realization that I didn't want to be in corporate finance my whole life. I didn't want to be, especially in like an insurance industry where I was somebody that had this extreme passion for sports. And honestly, I never thought I'd have the chance to work in sports until the opportunity presented itself. And like I said, everything happens for a reason. And I never forget one day my dad sent me over a job posting on LinkedIn. And it was like, I was looking for a sales job or a consulting job. And again, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But my dad sent me over this role for 76 Capital as the chief of staff. And as somebody who didn't love the corporate finance world, but wanted to use that as a way of kind of helping myself in a different business role, the chief of staff role at 76 Capital could not have been the more perfect role for me to go to after Independence Blue Cross. So my dad randomly sends me a job posting. I apply you're supposed to have a JD or an MBA. I had neither, but I said, you know what? Why not apply? I feel like I had a unique background and experience and thought process of why sports and technology were going to be the future. There's an intertwining there of those two. And I thought that I could speak about that from my experiences. And that's what I did in my interviews. And luckily enough, I was able to land the job and you know, the rest is history. And I've been at 76 for two and a half years now. And I'm sure we'll get into some of the Sable South baseball stuff, but there's zero chance in hell that I can do any of the stuff that we've been able to do with Sable South baseball had it not been for the mindset and innovative approach to things that I've been learning. I've lo I've learned at 76 capital from Wayne and Chad and the rest of the team. Um, so I'll stop talking for a little bit, but that's kind of the, the how I got here. Sure. Yeah, no, that, that was awesome. That, that's, that's, um, that's, that's really interesting. And one thing I just wanted to, to ask about, I know we've talked about the intersection of technology and sports. So the one thing I'm curious your thoughts on is, is the popularity of NFTs in sports. So something like NBA Top Shot or a, or a Rarible. Uh, just curious to think, do you, you know, is this a passing trend or do you think that this is sort of the future of sports uh, collecting? So it's so funny you ask that because I, NFTs are something that I've been really doing a, a big, a big deep dive in for a few different reasons. So from a 76 capital perspective, I think it's a really unique position for investment. And actually at the highest of levels, NFTs, in my opinion, NFTs and blockchain provide the democratization of everything. So for the first time, no matter if you're a team, if you're a league, if you're a company, even if you're just a person as a fan, 
you can literally take whatever you want to and democratize that asset. So you can take a picture of yourself, take a selfie. And if you want to raise charitable funds, throw that on there as an NFT and maybe somebody buys it. Same thing with the team. If you're an, if you're an NFL team, you win the Super Bowl, you're the Eagles. You could take that picture of Nick Foles holding this, the Lombardi trophy. Okay, that happens, what, three years ago? It feels forever. But you can democratize, you can sell that asset and make money on an existing asset and continue to make money on that asset. Because before we have, again, you can sell memorabilia, you can sell pictures, but now this digital component of it, it creates a rarity component and it also it's safer given the blockchain aspect of things. So from a 76 capital perspective, I think it's a huge opportunity for us to continue to understand. I think there's a lot of NIL applications from name, image, and likeness perspective where, again, if I'm, again, I, I, you said star player, Ron. I would not call myself a star pitcher. I had a few injuries, but I, it was a good experience in college. But for a lot of the guys on like LaSalle's team now, there's a few really good guys that are going to be draft picks. In a year or two, when NIL's you know, in place, they can create NFT for themselves and make money on their own name, image, and likeness. So again, it, it, and I, uh, NFTs kind of give teams, leagues, players, companies this opportunity to give fans ownership of things that they've never been able to have ownership of. Um, and really just, it creates its own marketplace. And a way I've looked at this from a personal perspective with LaSalle is, how can we use NFTs as a means of fundraising? Because I think the biggest issue that we've run into when trying to raise you know, a significant amount of money for a baseball team is what is the return on investment for this potential donor? How are they going to get something back? Because again, if there's a limited amount of donors for LaSalle, sure. we're a small school, we have a significant, we have a finite amount of alumni. So we have to rely on people outside of our network that want to come in and help. So how do we do that without providing that return on investment? So whether that be if you're a corporation, you get naming rights or whatever it may be, like there has to be something back to give back to that outside donor. And I think personally, and this is something I've been working on, but you have to see how it plays out, but NFTs and fundraising could be the perfect way to do that. And in my case, the way I saw it is, okay, I have this LaSalle Legends Foundation. It's a 501c3 not-for-profit. So it's a charitable donation. If you make this tax exempt, but we need a board of directors and that board of directors will then help operate this team. So if you create an NFT that kind of gets you a seat at that board and then almost like an ownership stake in that team, you get that return on investment. Now, obviously you're, you're not really profiting off the team. What you're really doing is creating value for the NFT itself, which then creates a marketplace for said team. So after two years, if you have one of those board seats and you buy in at $20,000 and LaSalle goes to a regional, that may be worth $100,000. So I think it's like, there's these types of practical applications for NFTs that haven't been used yet. We're starting to see more from like a personal branding perspective where teams starting to lean in or even artists, entertainers, things like that. But there definitely has been a bubble of NFTs. I don't think it's burst yet, but like that top shot when it was like, you know, $5,000 per card or whatever it was for like a few weeks, but there's a long-term play with NFTs and we haven't seen it yet but it's something that we all should be watching and see just continue to be creative of how we think we can execute on um, approaching utilizing NFTs. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, like as the transaction fees go down with, uh, with Ethereum, like the gas prices go down, hopefully in the near future with Ethereum 2.0, uh, I definitely agree. Seeing more and more practical applications of, um, of NFTs, but I'll pass this over to, uh, to Ryan. Yeah, I wanted to kind of dive more into your terms of investing at your company in 76. So what has been like the hardest decision in terms of like determining which companies to invest in? And then like out of some of those companies, what what makes it from their perspective, like they're the most attractive, like you're like, you have that instinct, like you need to invest your money at this company. Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I'll kind of go from when I first started to now. Um, so when I first started as chief of staff, I did kind of start running our investment team and it was a great opportunity for me because I was like, this is going to help me strategize of where we can go next. So I was able to see all the different deals, talk to the different entrepreneurs and investors and learn so much from that. And the thing for me at first was understanding how to approach a company, because there's so many companies I saw that I was like, I would use this or this, this makes sense. And that's great. And well, but for us, we're early stage and we have a certain target we look for as far as return or expected return, which for us is 10 X. 
So if you think about what a 10X return looks like for an early stage investment, we have to be super, super selective because that 10X return is basically almost like a, I don't want to say like a unicorn status, but approaching a unicorn status for a company. So at first I was like, man, that lot, so many of these companies are awesome. I wish I could invest in every single one. And I think for me, it was really tough because I loved having calls with entrepreneurs and investors, but you're entrepreneurs and I wanted to invest in every single one. But again, it's those special companies. And I think the more and more I got to see how we invested in the companies we ended up investing in, I started to see the, the common trends of what those companies had as opposed to some of the other ones we saw. And we are one of our taglines is working with smart and nice people. And for the most part, every single person I've talked to in this industry falls into that category, but there is a certain type of smart and nice person. And you can kind of feel it. And unfortunately it's been on zoom last year, but in person via zoom, whatever it is, they speak a different way. They, they know they're building something special. And by when I say speak a different way, it's like, they don't talk about right now with their company or product. They talk about the future and what it's going to do to attack the future of an industry. And a perfect example of that is U.S. Integrity. Um, and U.S. Integrity is a company we invested in. I don't even know when it was at this point, but probably a year, year and a half ago. Um, they are safeguarding sports betting for the leagues, for the teams, for the players. So integrity is a major part of the sports betting ecosystem. And I think I was ignorant to that when I was first reviewing the company in the sense of, there wasn't any integrity company out there like them. So I just was uneducated on how important it was to have that in the industry. So for me, I kind of remember sitting in this meeting with our team talking about us integrity, giving my opinion, and then basically being told why I was wrong about my opinion. And it's not that I didn't like them or I didn't want to invest, but I just was thinking about it in a totally different way than the rest of my team. And when they gave their expertise, explanation of why we were going to invest it made me learn so quickly what i was thinking wrong and I, again i wasn't thinking about how every industry has its own ecosystem within it and if you don't think about that when, when evaluating these companies you're going to be missing out on some of the best companies because again everything's replicable from other industries so if you look at entertainment there's companies that are safeguarding artists royalties same thing with sports betting. You need to protect the players. You need to protect the teams and the leagues to make sure that people aren't changing lines on purpose. So there's no foul play involved. Like that's such an important part of the industry. And again, I was naive in the sense that that needed to happen. And now us integrity is killing it because people have seen this massive growth of sports betting and they're really the only ones providing that safeguarding of the industry. So it's been funny and it's been awesome to look back at that meeting and say, man, I was so wrong but I'm so happy I was because I learned so much from that single meeting of saying, you know what? I was wrong because I was approaching it differently. Now I have a way more open mind of what I need to be looking for. So U.S. Integrity is a perfect example of a company that I needed to be educated on why they were so important. And that's the value of having a great team that we have at 76. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I love how the approach that you take toward uh, venture capital and totality. And um, like when I was, coming to, to approach with my own pitch deck, I, I, I should have known that 76 wanted something like 10 times returns. I would have uh, made a better pitch deck or at least uh, a better product. But um, I think like talking and networking these past couple of months, it's really cool to see like when I'm talking with other um, industry professionals, like, oh, I know of 76 Capital. Like, and, and it's really cool to hear that they know you even if you're only based in Conshohocken. And so how with your own like brand and approach to things, why, what makes you think 76 capital differentiates themselves from the other VCs just based on how you're staying toward your brand image? Yeah, it's, it's really unique because I think I never, I remember when I'm, I was interviewing, I was like trying to explain what we did to them. Like that was a question that they asked me and I gave my explanation, but it wasn't exactly right. I had the general idea, but the reason I wasn't sure, and a lot of people are unsure exactly how, what we do and how we operate is because we do so many different things. So I think we're so uniquely positioned because we are at the intersection of sports and technology and venture capital that we can have that unique voice as sports fans and also as investors in the future of the sports that we love. So I think if you go look at most venture capital companies, social media handles, you're going to see, you know, again, so there's, there are companies out there that do a great job. Don't get me wrong. But I think for us, we've had success because we have that unique voice. 
we can talk about how we've actually executed on investing in esports, in sports betting, in the general sports industry, and then also share in thought leadership from our experience doing that. So we have to study so much of what goes on in these industries because if we're not, then we're going to be behind the eight ball when investing. So because we study so much, because we have to do so much research, we are uniquely positioned to then talk about that on a bigger scale. And I think for me, it's been fun because I'm learning while doing, and especially when doing the social media strategy and all the different posts. I want to use my voice in the sense of youthful, more energetic, more fun, but also make sure people are learning from that. And I think, again, that's where it's, it's been fun for me to be able to be creative because, you know, I'm a creative person. I always felt kind of locked into that when I was doing more corporate finance. So being able to kind of use the business skills, business acumen, and then also this creative side merging together to build this voice for us, it's been awesome. And it's not just me, it's our whole team. And like, literally, it's like we all play off each other and it's like a true family, but like we're using social media the best way possible by literally talking about the way we look at things, the way we, it's, it's, it's natural. It's natural and organic. And I think we don't see that a lot from a lot of companies. And that for me, that's the most important thing is making sure people know, like I would be tweeting the way I'd be talking to you. And I want to make sure that that's how we get our points across. Cause I think it's more digestible and consumable for a lot of different audiences. So we're so uniquely positioned because of the people we work with, the assets we have as far as companies, the athletes we work with. Like we can just talk about things different than anybody else can. And I think that's what's make us successful. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of like touch upon more like backtracking to how you're saying you weren't going down the traditional role. You weren't that JD MBA candidate. Like I'm kind of in the same shoes and was a little discouraged from our previous event that we had with Drexel Ventures with, uh, a Drexel alum, Dylan, who works at Capital Factor of Austin, Texas, saying like only one of the 14 people who attended the Zoom meeting would enter that venture capital field. So going like kind of based on what Dylan was saying and like how you were able to enter, what kind of like skills and attributes do you think a successful venture capitalist and marketer needs to have? Um, say you're like in my shoes, trying to leverage yourself in a different approach where you're not going after that MBA or JD. Yep. Yeah, and I, one thing I'd say before that too is, I got very lucky to get into venture capital. I wasn't trying to. And again, it worked out better than I could have ever imagined. But there are other ways to get into VC. It may not be their first job, may not be your second job. But if you can build a network, one, and two, an understanding of the industry, but maybe from a different perspective, you can find yourself in VC. So I would say, if you really want to learn about VC, go work for a startup that's accepting VC money. See from the other side, see how they communicate, see what you like about that, see... Again, like that's experience that to me at VC would be valuable to have somebody working with me with that's had that side of the business. So just wanted to make sure I say that because again, it doesn't always have to be a linear path, but if you want to get somewhere, keep working to get it and you'll get there eventually. Um, but as far as success and skills to have that success, number one is work ethic. Um, it is a absolute grind. And I say that, but I also love that because again, I, that's how I felt with baseball. Like I miss that when I was in a nine to five, you know, for baseball, the best feeling was going to throw a bullpen and maybe finally throwing a few strikes. And I was like, all right, this is great. I see improvement. Like that's what I wanted to see. Cause you're working towards it every day. And you feel that you feel that success, like you feel it. And I feel like a lot of jobs, especially again, the, the more typical corporate jobs, you may not, you may not get that. And then again, that's me saying that other people may feel differently, but VC, you need to be ready to work. You know, I've been I've been working probably 15, 16 hour days for the past year and a half. And I'm OK with that because I know it's not only helping 76. It's, I'm learning so much. I've been able to do LaSalle stuff like it's a lot. But work ethics, number one, um, adaptability. Sports is changing every single day, especially this past year and a half, because, again, March of last year, sports went away and we invest strictly in sports companies. We're like, what the heck are we going to do? We had companies that were 24-7 sports betting media network. There was zero sports on. We were like, what are they, what are they going to talk about? But again, for us, it's we knew that they'd be back and all this technology would be helping to amplify sports when they did get back. Um, so again, it's having the mental fortitude to realize that there's going to be the downtimes and there's also going to be some great times and it's trying to make sure that you're even killed the entire time. Um, so I think being able to have a temperament for this type of industry is important. Um, and I think having an authentic personality is the last thing I'd say as far as a skill set, which is really kind of a unique thing to say, I guess, but 
I think I've gotten good at reading people and telling who's authentic because I think there's a lot of people within this industry because there's so much money involved that are in it just for the money. And I think if, if you start becoming that way, you're not going to have as much success as you would if you really love what you do, if you love the companies you're working with, and if you love these industries. And that's not just in sports, whatever industry you're investing in, you have to love it and want to see that growth and really be kind of like, you could be an arbiter of the growth of whatever sport you or whatever industry you're looking to grow. Like you, if you think like, like I think I can help baseball grow or I can help sports betting grow by thinking differently and being creative. If you think like that, you can actually make it happen. So a, a mentality and, and a good men, a good mentality is honestly like number, number one thing. And I think that ties back into work ethic and everything else too. Yeah. 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 And then I was just going to add, like, it, it seems like based on your success and, and it seems like it's been rewarding you and it's great that you're co- going to a company where you can showcase those skills and then be rewarded for yourself. So kind of wanted to hear about what's like the most rewarding part of working for a VC, like 76 capital. Like I'm sure there's quite a bit that you can kind of talk about here. Yeah. So, so far it's been, we've had three companies get acquired in a span of I guess it was in February. We had three companies get acquired in 30 days. And two of those companies were sports betting companies. And again, that, like I said earlier, like when the pandemic started, we are like, what are we going to do with these? Because we just, you know, one of the companies we had just invested in. So then sports weren't there. We're like, what are we going to do? And then VSIN, which is the 24-7 Sports Betting Media Network. Again, they were making unbelievable strides, having so much success, and then sports go away. So for those two companies to get acquired, so it was VSIN and Victory, um, and then Team Whistle and Whistle Sports, which is a some are our, our other fund, but they got acquired by the company out in uh, England. To have three companies get acquired a year after the pandemic began was such a cool feeling because it proved the concept of 76 Capital. It proved the concept that if you invest in the future of sports, and if you can understand what each sport and which each sector of sports needs to grow, you can have success. And that's how we proved it. So now we had, again, two companies get acquired in this fund, one from a different fund. We have a ton of other companies that may not even need to get acquired. Nursery Gamers, they are absolutely killing it on their own right now because they took the pandemic, taking away their in-person events, and they became the top digital distributor during the pandemic. So, you know, it's like, hey, we can't do any. We, they're supposed to open up 75 stores last year. They didn't get to open any. Instead, they became the host for ESPN and all their Madden tournaments with all the celebrities. They became the sole provider of all Valorant tournaments on, and streaming. Like, they figured out other ways to be creative and utilize their mission or, and execute on their mission by just rolling with the punches. And again, like, that's such an important thing. So watching our companies grow, watching our companies get acquired, it's it's been amazing. And I love that. And again, it, again, it feels like I'm watching my team have success and that, and that's the best feeling. Yeah. And like, I, I can kind of touch personally with that. Like I contacted both those companies, both nerd street gamers and VSIN. nerd street gamers really doing some revolutionary stuff, putting a block where they can help foster um, basically e-gaming for kids who are less fortunate with that. It's really amazing stuff. And then VSIN, uh, I talked to one of the hosts, uh, Tim Murray, networking with him and um when you're talking about skills and attributes he definitely exemplifies that being laid off four times the span of two years had to call up his pops kind of like express how he was like basically in the dump and now he's uh doing great kind of doing sports podcasts maybe potentially could bring me on which would be very cool as well so i'll pass the next couple of questions off to sean yeah great thanks ryan yeah so uh i think one question we have and and it's one question i'm always really interested in in vc you know you're investing in the best companies that you can find but at the end of the day there's some that you where you can't get into the round or uh you choose not to invest in so i'd love to hear about you know maybe 76 is anti-portfolio the companies that you didn't invest in that that you wish that you did yeah and again when i when i was first running that investment team it sucked because i felt like i was building these relationships with the founders and the worst feeling in the world is telling somebody no, especially somebody you build a relationship with. And that was really, really hard for me. And I just, I was so bad at it. And I was like, I don't know how to do this at all. So learning how to, how to say no was tough, but we have this, this side portfolio that I'd say we keep of companies that we want to make sure we follow their, their traction. And we're raising a new fund right now. 
this could be a lot bigger than our other fund. And those are the types of companies we'll go to first because yeah, we're limited in what we can invest in in the sense that we're not going to invest in every company we see. We're very strategic, but we want to make sure that all those companies that were like, hey, we need to make sure we follow these guys. One, because, hey, that, that founder was amazing. Or two, that idea, it's maybe a little bit too early right now, but if they do this or that, it could be investable for us. So we have that, that side log of, of companies that we're always following. Um, we try to make sure we keep in touch with every entrepreneur that, again, is in those logs. And even entrepreneurs that aren't maybe in those logs, but we're always looking. I mean, we see 100, 200 deals a month. Um, a month, which is crazy. It's a crazy amount of deal flow. So we get to see everything, um, which is great. So it's making sure, again, like you said, we need to make sure we keep that side log. And that way, when we are ready to deploy capital, we know exactly where it should be going. And whether that be follow-on opportunities for our existing companies, or whether that be that side log of companies, we need to be ready to deploy it. So um, we're always paying attention to that, always trying to make sure we keep the keep our noses in, the, in all the biggest things happening in sports and Luckily, because of our, our brand, we usually get to see that before anybody else. Awesome. And sort of just to follow up on that, like what are some, uh, if you can say, some companies that you find exciting right now that, you know, 76 hasn't invested in? Uh, and yeah, that, that would be great to hear. Yeah. It's tough. I can't, I don't know if I could say names, but I'll kind of talk about ideas. Um, but like one of them from a baseball perspective is uh, a, a data aggregator for all the different tools out there. So, um, we invest in a company called Diamond Kinetics, which is awesome. I mean, it's, we invested in it a week before I started and it's a radar gun inside of a baseball and a handle on the bat that tells you velocity, spin rate, all these different advanced statistics that I never got to use when I was in high school. I remember I used to like, we, I didn't even have a radar gun. So I was trying to get recruited for college and I was like hoping that like somebody in the stands would have a radar gun. So I can be, Hey, I threw this today. I threw that today. Now kids can throw bullpens by themselves with a ball that has all that stuff in it. So for that, there's a lot of different tools out there. So Rapsodo is one of the more expensive ones for a lot of the minor league pitchers use it. Big colleges, it's expensive, but it's great data. But there's no profile for kids to have that data. So how do you aggregate all the different data from different facilities, different tools? So there's a company doing that. And for me, I'm like, that's very practical. Now, is it 10x? I'm not sure, but I need to see the partnerships they make and the scalability. So I'm going to follow them and make sure that I can find out everything I can about that. Um, in esports, for me, again, not saying any specific companies, but that and analytics are a revolution waiting to happen. Because if you look at traditional sports, that and analytics are all the rage. So esports, it's different because data is not democratized by the publishers. So if you're looking at Overwatch or Call of Duty, most of the time, the publishers, they're the owners of that data. So I think as we see the growth of these different teams and leagues, a lot of that will become more democratized and that data will be available. And yeah, teams and leagues and even uh, casual players, where if us three were playing Call of Duty right now, we want to really want to build a clan or whatever it may be, and we want to get better. We can use our own data and try to find out the best way to, to get better at the games. And again, there's data available for us to use, but it's not necessarily easy to read or it's not a true output of how to get better. So I think those are the types of things in the short term we'll see in esports um, and in sports betting. Again, you continue to see this emergence of media and sports betting being tied together. Um, so again, both of our sports betting companies that were acquired, one was acquired by Fubo TV, one by DraftKings. So you're starting to see this tie in of again, media and sports betting, and how are we going to grow that? And what are the other applications that are going to go into amplifying that and making that experience better? So again, this industry is changing every single day. So some of these companies that I'm like, that makes a lot of sense, but it's not actually done yet. There's something missing. If they add that missing piece, we can be ready to go and invest. So sorry, I can't give any specific names, but there's a lot out there. I can talk for hours about all the different companies we see and that I want to invest in, but um, maybe we can do that offline. Sure. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And, and no worries at all. And then one last question, I'll, I'll pass it back over to, uh, to Ryan after this is, uh, you know, can you give your thoughts on sort of the SPAC craze? I mean, we had uh, an explosion in the use of SPACs in, in 2020. Uh, some that come to mind right away that might be relevant. DraftKings, I, I know went relevant or went uh, public via SPAC. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts, you know, not only on the maybe a SPAC bubble, if there is one, but also on their long-term impact on, on VC and, and really the industry as a whole. Yeah. And just to be completely honest, I'm not an expert on SPACs by any means. I've definitely followed the, the 
the growth and the boom these last few months. But more than anything, it shows the interest in sports. And it shows the interest in sports investing because, again, when we started 76 Capital, again, I wasn't there. I'm saying we, but you know, I wasn't there at the time. But 2017, 2018, this was just getting started. And this, these opportunities were just starting to exist. So to see these SPACs kind of coming in and throwing so much money at all these companies, it's, again, proved our concept right, that there's interest in sports technology, but there's also success in sports technology. So for SPACs, I think, again, there's been – probably a few too many, a few for the wrong reasons. But again, if there's money, it's got to be spent somewhere, I guess. But there's interest. For us, it's great. It shows everything that we've been saying. And I think uh, you'll probably see it start to tail off a little bit. But again, it's, it's, it's been great to kind of watch all the money be going into these companies. And uh, hopefully, maybe some of that money will be going to some of our companies in the near future. Great. Yeah. Can't get much hotter, right? So can't continue. Uh, can't continue like this forever, for sure. But yeah, Ryan, I'll, I'll pass it back over to you. Yeah, yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about going back to when you're talking about Nerd Street gamers and how they were able to still thrive during these unprecedented times we've come through. How, how do you think venture capital has changed since uh, COVID began and where do you see VC headed? Do you see it maybe targeting some of the companies I was looking at like Triller, Talent X, now there's going to be like a So You Think You Can Fight where the guy coming from So You Think You Can Dance is coming over to like potentially have people train with amateur boxers and then get in like in that undercard of like a Jake Paul. Do you see like VC going to something revolutionary to that regard? Well, one I'd like to get in, that's how you think you can fight thing. That sounds awesome. And I used to box. So I'm like, I'm in for that. So let's decide it here first. This is my like the trial for that. But yeah, I think absolutely. And I think again, like Triller is a great example of taking an audience that they know will consume the content and then executing on that quickly. I mean, it's, they literally came out of nowhere. And for VC, again, VC is so unique in the sense that we'd have to be super careful because is it a fad? Maybe. But I think another example of that is like Versus, which is like the music side of things where you have, I'm a big rap fan. Like you had like Young Jeezy versus um, like Gucci Mane. And it's going back on their all the different tracks in their, in their catalog. And people love watching that because you get to see the artists, you get to see, listen to the music and it's entertaining. But would I have ever thought that that would be something worth millions of dollars a year ago? No, but now it is. So all those different types of like a trailer, like versus all those different types of things are opportunities for investment now, because the way people consume content has changed so much because of social media and the pandemic. So I think now we're forever going to have this, this mix of the virtual and the in-person world. And I think that's a good thing for technology and sports technology specifically, um, because Again, it's nobody wants to just sit at home and watch a game anymore. There has to be something else with that. And that's where opportunities are for investment in and around those types of companies like Triller. So um, again, I think, I always hate to say that the pandemic's been like, I'm not, I would never say it's been a good thing, never said anything like that. But as far as a necessary growth for industries that probably needed to do that, it, it kind of urged that growth a little bit quicker than uh, it probably would have happened otherwise. Yeah, and going off those revolutionary companies and, and things along those lines, if there was like one particular up and coming company right now that you would want to put your money at, um, would you able would you be able to share that with us and kind of talk about why you would invest there? Sure. I, I can't say a specific company, but what I would say, well, actually, LaSalle Baseball. I'd say LaSalle Baseball because uh, we're going to the moon once we bring it back because we're going to use sports tech to grow the team. But um, I think... NIL is a spot right now that I'm, I'm very excited and, and bullish on now, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect size because there's so much leg, regulatory is, issues and legislative issues right now, because every state's different. The national government's not going to approve everything for next year. And, and the NCA, who knows what's going on with the NCAA, but NIL is a massive opportunity because if you look at some of the, the hypothetical dollars that some of these athletes will be making right now. And the best part I think is that, like the top 10, I think like seven are all are women's athletes, which is awesome because again, we, we know that the issues face women's sports right now where again, the opportunities to make money aren't as, as there as much, but NIL democratizes that completely. Um, when athletes are able to create their own YouTube channels and get sponsorships and kind of do that themselves, it opens up so much. So with that, you're going to need lawyers, you're going to need agents, you're going to need companies to help kind of gather that, those opportunities for players and also making sure that they're safe. Because, again, if I, you know, my hypothetical dream world where I was a superstar athlete at LaSalle 
and somebody comes to me and wants to give me $100,000 to be the face of their car dealership, who's to say that they're not going to try to screw me over? Who's to say that they're not going to try to take advantage of me because I'm a college kid? So we need to make sure that when this industry is there, because it's going to happen quick, it's going to happen quick. And you're going to see it with a guy like Bronny James Jr., who's probably going to be one of the first athletes to ever get to utilize this to the fullest extent. So we need to make sure that the NIL industry is, is ready to go and everybody's protected and safe. Because again, it's a huge opportunity, but it needs to be done right if it's going to work. Otherwise, we can really come see the NCAA crumbling in the next few years. So I, I, I think that I think we're going to be a huge player in NIL. And I'm excited to kind of see the different companies that are created to then safeguard it and, and make it better. Yeah, definitely. And I also something that I want to consider. Maybe um, it's kind of hard for me, like at Drexel, because some of the companies I try to target independently out of Drexel's database are pretty revolutionary. And you kind of have to like start being the person who sells Drexel's co-op. And then some of them don't know it, like Gum Gum Sports um, with, out of uh, Santa Monica that does sports sponsorship analytics. He just got evaluated 75 mil of Goldman Sachs and the guy didn't know what Drexel Co-op was, but I still wanted to like learn about their company and going yeah. off that, are there any companies in mind that um, say, since we're with Drexel Ventures and people are looking for co-ops and internships, is there any companies out there either in the VC or, or basically the sports industry airspace that uh, might foster a potential internship for one of us? Sure. Yeah. I'd say um, go to our website at 76 Capital. We have all the different portfolio companies we have and partner companies like Rubicon Talents, our sports marketing agency. Um, Montag Group is a partner of theirs. Uh, we have so many opportunities throughout all those companies. And again, if anybody watching this or, or listening to this adds me on LinkedIn and sees somebody I'm connected to that they'd like to work for or meet, let me know and I'll facilitate an introduction. Um, and networking is the best thing you can do, especially while still in college. I did an awful job of it while I was in college, but I'm really good at it now. So made up for it. But if you want to talk to somebody, if there's a company you want to be at, go look for somebody there, reach out, be authentic in reaching out. Because again, I think a lot of us who use LinkedIn see the bots that continuously attack our inboxes with uh, you know that secondary income or free job, whatever it is. So be authentic, tell them why you want to talk to them, tell them what your goals are, who you are, be short, concise to the point, but happy to facilitate introductions to me, Bay. Yeah, definitely, James. I'm sure I, Sean, and Drexel Ventures will take that advice. I wanted to pass back to Sean for some further questions. Yeah, I think um, I just have one more question, uh, you know, and it's it's sort of an off-the-wall question, but just something that I've been thinking about. So when I was a kid, I was a, you know, a big baseball fan, big MLB fan, but over time, as I've gotten older, I've sort of fallen out of love with the sport. And I, I feel to an extent uh, it's because of some of the you know lack of innovation on the MLB side. Uh, so one thing I, I'd love to hear, and, you know, just as a quick example of that, you know, I don't think that the MLB allows uh, YouTubers and, and other Instagram pages and stuff like that to use their content, which I think is such a missed opportunity on the, uh, the marketing front. Uh, it's something we've definitely seen the NFL and the NBA, I think does an amazing job of that. Uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you were, let's say, the president of the MLB, uh, you know, what would you, what were some changes that you would make and uh, what would you do differently? Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's allowing fans to use the footage. It, it blows my mind. I mean, Shohei Otani is the most exciting player in baseball. But unless you're living in L.A. or you're on late night Twitter or you're watching ESPN, you're not going to see him hitting absolute moonshots and then throwing 101 the next inning. It's, it blows my mind that, like, I can't put up a video of him hitting a nuke because I'll get banned from Twitter. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. And if you look at the growth of the NBA over the last few years, it's been because people love posting highlights. People love – basketball Twitter is awesome most times. But it's exciting because there's always a conversation. There's always clips. It's always a sick dunk, an awesome block, whatever it may be. In baseball – you don't see that. I mean, Pitching Ninja is somebody that I think, I mean, as a pitcher, I love Pitching Ninja. Pitching Ninja is somebody that takes, well, and he got banned from by the MLB and then when he first started doing this, but now he's, he's cleared, but he takes videos of some of the best pitchers in the game and highlights their mechanics, highlights awesome pitches and does really cool overlays. Now, for me, as somebody who's still playing, 
I've actually used those types of videos to get better. And I understand my mechanics more by watching them. He had to fight to just put videos on Twitter to help people get better at baseball. But if there was a like a thousand or 10,000 versions of pitching ninja, baseball would be a much bigger sport. And we get to see the top talent and get to see all these awesome things happening on a nightly basis that we really can't find out. My roommate and I, every single morning when we work out, we watch highlights of baseball. We watch the like five, 10 minute highlights of the games from the night before. And they're all from verified accounts, but it's a, cons- a condensed nine inning game. And it takes, you got five to 10 minutes to watch it all. We love that but we have to search YouTube to find those videos. It should be easily consumable. So if I'm the president of MLB, I'm making, I'm democratizing all the, all the, uh, the footage from games. And I want to, I want to bring in the fans perspective. Obviously the baseball is great for what it is. I love the traditions of baseball, but there's clearly issues that need to be fixed now because it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with the younger generation of fans. And if we don't have a younger generation of fans loving baseball, there's going to be no love for baseball in the future. So um, I think, again, the NBA is an unbelievable job of making sure the opposite happens. And esports is kind of going to have a chance to take over. Even in soccer, the same way. Like these other sports are jumping in because their assets are everywhere. Streaming's everywhere. In soccer, they're doing a much better job of appealing to a broader fan base. Like baseball needs to do the same. And I just don't think they're listening to the general public and they have to start doing that. So it starts with the media side of things though. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, you know, the biggest thing missing, right. Are the storylines as well. You know, if you go on to NBA or NFL Twitter, like you said, uh, you can see all the storylines, whether that's, you know, Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes or Brady versus Mahomes or whatever it might be that week. I don't think you see the same thing where if, you know, Mike Trout plays Bryce Harper, just, just to make something up. Uh, I don't think you see the same thing. The one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and it's, you know, with analytics being applied to sports and and obviously with it being applied most famously really to baseball, I'm curious to hear your thoughts there as well. So something like the shift or, yeah. um, or, you know, taking your pitcher out in the, in the fifth inning and having 17 relief pitchers and all of that. I'm just curious, how do you feel about that? Almost um, sometimes I feel as though with the introduction of analytics, we found that the best way to play baseball and the best way to win baseball is not necessarily what looks best on TV or is what is yeah. most entertaining to watch. So I'd love to hear your thoughts there. And if you change anything. Yeah, no, look, analytics are, are extremely important and they have to be used, but I think using them the right way is, is of the utmost importance. And, you know, as a Phillies fan, we had Gabe Kapler as our manager uh, for the past two seasons. And, uh, you know, Gabe is whatever it is, what it is. Like I don't blame him for the lack of success because I think, again, a lot of it starts with, the front office and making sure that the team on the field is good enough to beat other teams. And I don't think we've had that. Um, but the big thing with analytics for me is that I think analytics are most important with team building and optimizing a team. And I think if you look at a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been able to use analytics in a sense of building the best roster on a small salary cap. And that's been super impressive. And I think again, that money ball aspect, it's like you can use data to figure out, how okay this lefty pitcher who had success three years ago and now he struggled the last two years versus you know a ton of if you look at your division there's a ton of lefties in that on your division that have struggled against this guy and you say hey i'm going to sign this guy for a 1.5 million dollar deal as opposed to this guy for seven million dollars who's had more success but we're going to take the risk that this guy is going to continue having success against guys in our division he's going to serve a purpose and he's going to be that guy so I think as far as like team building, it's, it's really helpful in trying to find the value. And again, for teams, it's so important to find value. Um, but, you know, I think the problem with analytics is what do you take? There's always the heart and soul of baseball, which is just letting guys play. And there's, there's a fine line. And I don't think we found the fine line yet. Um, and again, people got mad at Gabe Kapler because he would take, he would change the lineup every day, put guys different positions maybe having a heavier emphasis on analytics may be necessary, but at the same time, if you're not given the best talent on the field, you have to try to make do. So I think that and analytics are best served to build a roster, to continue to improve for the players and let them improve on their own of saying, Hey, you know, I'm hitting 90% of fastballs up and in, but I'm struggling balls low and outside. Um, these, are the, these are the pitches I'm struggling with. And this is all that, like you could take so many different pieces of analytics 
but you can't make every decision just based off numbers because baseball is a game of, of chance. It's a game of heart. It's a game of will. I mean, there's so many different factors that you have to take into account. And sometimes analytics doesn't do that, but um, there's definitely a place in the game for analytics. I think we're still trying to find the perfect place, but even from a fan engagement perspective, like StatCast, all the other things that are being used, they're cool. I love seeing 475 foot home runs. I love seeing, Hey, this catch at a, it's 16% chance of being made and Bryce made a diving catch and made it like, that's cool. And that is going to help grow the game. But again, we need to find the perfect synergy of all of it. Yeah. Agreed completely. And, and sort of just continue down this, uh, just continue down the, the bat, the baseball path. Um, could you give us like a, a little bit more context and, and maybe an intro to LaSalle legends, uh, the LaSalle legends foundation and uh, describe some of its aspirations. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, as you guys discussed earlier, we've been trying to save LaSalle's baseball team. Um, so in September, they cut baseball and six other programs at the school. Um, you know, I'd say most of it is for financial reasons and optimizing uh, the schools. And we had 20, 27 programs at LaSalle, and it's a small school. And, I, you know, 27 programs for a small school is a lot. And I understand that. But, you know, for me, again, it's like we're not going down with a fight. And so we've been raising money to try to bring the program back. So I was thinking of the best, again, return on investment for potential donors. That's from the beginning. That's what I was trying to figure out the best way to do that. So with that, we were also been told that if we're bringing the program back, we would be needing to be the ones that fund and operate it. So trying to think of understanding like the strategy behind all those different things, bringing them together. I felt like starting a foundation would be the best approach. Um, and Texas A&M, they have the 12th man foundation and they basically operate most of the teams there. So kind of doing that model at a, at a smaller school, I thought could be really interesting. And, you know, the LaSalle legends foundation, the reasoning for that name is to kind of honor those that played at LaSalle before us. Cause LaSalle has a pretty deep history in sports and baseball specifically. And the namesake of our field, Hank DeVincent, he unfortunately passed away last year, but he's one of the most unbelievable people ever. I mean, the guy, was like a walk-on on the baseball team, ended up being the most unbelievable player. I think he, he I think he's played track and field as well, was like a captain for them and the soccer team, like stud athlete. But he got to go play for the Reds in the minor league system and left the Reds organization to go pursue his doctorate. Then he became an orthopedic surgeon and was one of the most well-respected orthopedic surgeons across Philadelphia and the region. So a guy that was so successful at LaSalle in every way, he's somebody that we need to highlight more. And I think there's so many other guys like that. And for me, I was like, why not name this foundation after all the guys that came before us and all the people that came before us and not even just baseball, um, but provide a tax exempt way to donate to this program and to grow the program. Um, but also a way for us to be able to give back to the community around LaSalle. So I think one of the things that I always wish we did more of when I was there was do baseball camps for kids in surrounding areas or just go and like, show these kids that they can get to the place where we were at one day. So I think again, for, especially like an inner city, it may be tough to under, even know what college baseball opportunities are out there or college opportunities are out there. And two, you may have never met a college athlete. So I think for a lot of kids, if they get to kind of hang out with these players, they get to, get to learn from them, have a resource and a friend um, of somebody that's working, show me hard, has good morals, all of that. It can change kids' lives. So we want to do that. And that's something like, Again, it's been awesome to be able to found like found this and hopefully we get to actually operate it, but we can make LaSalle baseball great in so many ways. And obviously it starts on the field of making sure that we're a good team, but using that to then help everybody around us. And I think that's why I'm so excited for this in the future. And, um, you know, it's, it was pretty cool to be able to launch a foundation again, because it's, we're giving back, we're highlighting the success of the past teams and fast athletes at LaSalle and we're doing it all for the right reasons. So, um, you know, I'm, I really hope that we get the chance to save the team and then be able to operate this foundation and do some pretty amazing things. Yeah, that, that, that sounds awesome. And one thing I want, really wanted to ask you, I know you mentioned this earlier, is some of that ROI, so the return on investment for, and it's, it's actually a very interesting perspective, not something I would have thought of, you know, when I think of, uh, you know, investing in a charitable organization or donating to a college, it's sort of like, well, this is a nice thing to do. I'm doing this because I want to, but to give that ROI and to sort of give that incentive, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I know we've talked about some of the NFT integration, but what are your, some initial plans on, on developing that ROI? Yeah. I mean, look, we have one of the, we have our fields right in the middle of campus. 
It's absolutely massive. I think center field is like 500 feet. But there's a lot of space to monetize and a lot of space to show off some of these companies and organizations that want to help us out. So as we're looking for what the future of LaSalle baseball looks like and how we're going to become self-sufficient, it's leveraging, again, the space we have and the brand we built for LaSalle baseball to get corporate partners to then donate. And then for us to then do a great job of highlighting them and making this a true college baseball experience at every game at LaSalle. So whether you're watching on TV, because we have ESPN3 capabilities, or you're watching at the Hank on LaSalle's campus, we want to highlight all these different companies that are helping us get back. And by doing that, it's helping create awareness for them. And we're truly becoming a profitable team in the sense of we're a team, we're an organization that's going to make money for the program that's going to go back into the program and the community by leveraging the companies that want to work with us and highlighting them and making sure the world knows about them. So where I think, again, like you said, most people say, oh, it's nice to just donate to a college, donate to a team. We want to make sure that we return that to them by naming the field, naming a, a dugout, naming a cubby, whatever it is, putting advertisements in the outfield. We want to do that. And we want to make sure we do more than just put their, you know, their name out there. We want to have broadcasters. We want to do all these different social media things. So we want to really build this into a, a true professional program, basically. And I think that we have the opportunity to do that through the foundation. And because we genuinely want, genuinely want to provide that return to anybody that helps us out, because I mean, I know personally, I'm so appreciative of you guys first off for letting me do this, but any single person that's reached out and wanted to help because this isn't about me. This isn't about my friends even that are alumni. This is about the guys still on the team that are kicking ass right now when they lost nine players and told the program was going to cease to exist. And they just broke the school record for wins this weekend. Wow. So it's one of those things like I'm doing all this and we're doing all this because these guys deserve it. And we probably wouldn't even be still doing this if they just folded and said, Hey, you know, we had nowhere to play anymore. Feel sorry for us here. We are going to win seven games. Now they're the best team in the A-10 and they have a chance at hosting the playoffs. So it's uh, they deserve this opportunity. And I think for me, it's making sure that the world and especially again right now, corporate partners realize that this team is more than just a baseball team. It's, it's a hell of a story. And really it's a necessity right now for most people to have something to cheer about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Ryan, I'll pass it, uh, pass it back over to you. I know I've asked a few questions here, so. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to know, based on uh, your initiative here, why do you think uh, LaSalle legends will change the way colleges particularly view sporting programs? Like, no matter the size or where you're located, it doesn't matter. You can still get the adequate funding. You can still bring your message to light. Yeah, it's definitely replicable. And again, I, I mean, I got the idea from another school, but I think a lot of schools and programs get stuck in doing things one way. And again, the innovative approach is necessary. And I think that's where having a foundation like this or having any sort of entity to kind of help fundraise, to help kind of operate, it takes the pressure off the school and you're, you're adding in the expertise of your alumni base, basically. And I think if you're thinking about what makes a program or a school great, you're only as good as your alumni. So you're engaging alumni the perfect way engaging them in a way of making the program better and it's been awesome to work with alumni dating back to the 60s i mean i've never met a lot of these people and now we're working i mean i have a 6 40 a.m call every morning with a guy from the class of 85 every single morning and obviously it's a lot but it's like we've developed a great relationship and it's special and like i cherish that now because you know, the same guy was, he was at LaSalle a long time before me, but we have some similar stories and it's exciting. It's fun to kind of talk about that stuff. So, you know, I think other schools can kind of use this same approach. And again, the biggest part of everything we've done has really been the PR strategy um, and making sure that people are aware of what's going on, aware of the story. And for me, it's not trashing the school. It's not going out there and saying, oh, you know, they made this mistake, go get them, go, you know, do meet, throw mean tweets at them, go throw eggs at their houses. Like, no, it's not, it's not about that. It's about, here's the issue. Here's how I think LaSalle baseball can fix these issues. And here's how I and my team of people that are helping are going to help you do it. Um, and I think that's, that is replicable across all these schools that do need help and all these programs that need help. So hopefully uh, others can follow suit if we're successful and when we're successful and, um, I'd love to help anybody that needs help doing it because again, I'm 
passionate about college sports and sports in general. And, you know, no kid that works that hard to get to a college uh, deserves to have it taken away from them um, without, you know, with really them having no say in it. Yeah, I wanted to kind of uh, follow up with that and knowing that regardless of whether or not you end up getting the needed amount of funding, what kind of key takeaways um, do, do you have from this and how has it grown you as a person to really advocate something that you love and enjoy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny, man. Like the week before this all happened, I remember talking to a, a friend and we were talking about like, she was like, what do you want to do? Like, what's your goal in life? And I genuinely said, like, I swear to God, I'm not saying this to sound like whatever, but I said, I just want to do something good for the world. That's all I said. I was just like, I, I always hated the sense that like, I don't want to just be somebody that's going through the motions. Like, I feel like I can provide something special because I, I think differently than a lot of people in some senses. And I said, I want to make sure that if I think that I want to make sure I'm using that and harnessing it for good. And a week later, the program gets cut and immediately was jumping into action. And from there, it's been this most stressful, craziest seven, whatever month it's been um, of my life. But every step of the way, I've learned something and learned, I've met amazing people. I've learned skills, whether it be, I learned how to do video editing. I learned how to do voiceovers, all this other stuff. Like I never thought I'd be doing that type of stuff, but not only did it help me for LaSalle, but it helped me for work too. Like everything I've done, again, this is why I'm so grateful and thankful to 76 because everything I've done at work is transferable to what I'm doing with LaSalle. And because of that, we've had the enormous success in getting our story out there we did a barstool pizza review, which I would not have been able to do that if I didn't understand social media strategy and how to get to one of the biggest names in the world of Dave Portnoy. And again, I understand the finance world and investing and, and understanding how to use my network to activate something like this. And honestly, from just a personal perspective, understanding how to control emotions and go through one day thinking about the save the team and the next day, something completely ridiculous happens and changes that. It's exhausting and it, it's, it sucks. And honestly, of course, I can't wait for it to be over. But like at the same time, I know that the work that we're doing has impacted the players on the field and made them keep going. And they've, you know, they're excited and proud of us for what we're doing to help them. So we're, I mean, I can't express how proud I am of them. Like it's, I feel like a proud dad, like especially when they got the 30 second win the other day and broke the school record, I was like, like one to cry. I was like, I'm so proud. So I think I've just learned a lot about myself through this time. Again, it's been a lot of long nights, early mornings in this room, trying to just be creative and think of what's next. But, you know, I, I, I've I'm so grateful for this experience. And again, I just hope that all the work we've done is going to work. I really hope it works because we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't think it was best for the school. Again, like I love LaSalle first and foremost, like that is, my home, it gave me everything I had. And baseball was again, the reason that I was there. Um, but, you know, I know this is right for the school if they give us this opportunity. And I, I want to make sure that I keep saying that because if we're given the chance to bring this program back, we're going to make it the best damn team in the Northeast. And there's an opportunity because there's not a lot of great talent or not a lot of great teams in the Northeast, but there's a ton of great talent in the Northeast. And now more than ever, people know what LaSalle baseball is. People know who we are. It's a national story now. And again, it's a national story because the team has continued to have success and they deserve to be that national story. So um, I've learned so much. It's been the most unbelievable experience. I've got to do it with two of my best friends um, and meet so many alumni and learn so much. And I honestly, I feel like I really have become my true self through doing this because I am so passionate about it. And I learned that I can have a voice on something I'm passionate about. I can be vocal about this stuff. You know, I was not a very public or vocal person before a lot of this started. And next thing I know on a freaking Barstool Pizza review in front of millions of people. And then it's like, okay, you know what? I have a voice. I'm going to use it. And, you know, I try to use it for good and, you know, eight, six, ABC, same thing. And it's making sure people know that like, I love LaSalle and I love baseball and I want to do this because these kids deserve it. And kids need to get that experience that like I was, I was a lost soul. I needed a place to call home. I found that perfect place. There's a lot of kids like me that need that opportunity. So, you know, I think I'm just giving back for the experience that I was able to get at LaSalle. And uh, 
definitely a lot of time reminiscing with my friends about our favorite stories and everything that we did when we were there. So it's kind of brought us all together. So I'm very grateful for, for everything that's happened uh, to this point. Yeah, I can kind of t- talk about that too personally. Like I have a friend who uh, runs a nonprofit foundation called CB Cares Volunteer Teens, which basically uh, lets middle and high school teens basically impact the community by volunteering at his um, self-provided events and learning off him. And now he has his own LLC called Plus One Events where he sources his own website and has the vendors and everything come to him, kind of got me in the realm of how can I really express my voice? So I started a podcast, really wanted to target the fields that I uh, see best fit. So I went uh, music at first, but then I'm always open to sports and really just want to hear from people like yourself who are really making a difference right now. And I appreciate you, James, for coming on today. Of course, man. And yeah, I mean, that's great. You started a podcast because I did the same thing. I mean, as soon as we did the pizza review, I was like, Again, I've always wanted to do this stuff. I think, and, and again, Barstool has, like, I remember my first job sitting in a cubicle and listening to part of my take was the first intro to Barstool. And I was, again, very, I was still a little bit of a, a quiet kid. Was, I was still, I was very out, more outgoing, but still like wasn't ready to share the truth the way I saw things. And I heard Big Cat and PFT speak about sports in such a unique way, in a funny way. And I was like, you know what? I like that approach. I think that that's something that they, they show their true personalities. And I was like, I want to show my true personality. And again, after the, the peach review, we started a podcast too called skyline spew my roommate. And I don't care if one person listens to it or a thousand, but it is such a good feeling to be able to talk about things the way I want to talk about them and have an outlet to do so. So it's been great to have that and learn how to be in front of the camera, learn how to, edit things and make great graphics and stuff like that. And uh, so it's almost like its own business. It really is because you're, if you're doing the full life cycle of it, you're trying to get an audience, trying to get sponsors, all that type of stuff. You're learning a lot. So I'm glad that you're doing the same thing and kudos to you. And, you know, I know it's been fun for me as well. And again, I, there's nothing better than talking to your buddies and doing whatever and just literally talking about, I mean, we literally talked about fruit for 15 minutes last time about the best fruits and it was the most engaging conversation I've had in a long time. So it's fun to be able to do that type of stuff. And uh, again, it's, it's ours, it's our outlet. And uh, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, it sounds great. Was there anything else, Sean, you wanted to add? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's it from my end. It's been a uh, really great speaking with you, James. And, and thanks again for doing this. I uh, really appreciate it, especially, you know, some of your, we've been trying to get Drexel Ventures on campus and sort of growing this club over the last two years. So it's, it's you know, it's inspiring to hear some of the successes you've had with growing you know, not only in your career, but also with uh, LaSalle Legends and your own podcast. So again, really great to have you on. And uh, thanks so much for being a part of this. Uh, thank you guys again. And again, anybody that wants to talk, please reach out to me. Um, I'm sure I'll give you my, inf- my contact information, but at James Santor and all social channels and reach out to me. I'll, I'll get on a call with you and help any way I can. But just remember, not every path is linear. It's really ups and downs, but if you know what you want to do, or at least have an idea of what you want to do, just keep working hard toward it and you're going to get there. Um, the worst thing you can do is give up. So um, that's the last thing I'll leave you with persistency and resilience, but I appreciate you guys again. Thank you so much and love that you guys are doing this. And uh, sure. I can't wait to follow both of your success in the future. Great. Yeah. Thank you again, James. And uh, it's been, it's been awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, James.